G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It is always good to catch up uh, on the latest issues that are shaping our nation, shaping our culture. Charles Newington, the National Director of Family Voice Australia, back with us. Hello, Charles. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Good morning. Charles, let's talk politics because there is a federal election. It is looming. On Monday night, there was a leaders' debate. Uh, there's another one that's scheduled for tomorrow night, uh, hosted by Sky News. Uh, it's been reported in terms of a cultural divide, a cultural divide that's opening wider than ever. Uh, what are your thoughts for what we've seen in the first debate, what we might anticipate as the election campaign continues to unfold? Oh, thank you. I noted that uh, reporters like Paul Kelly described the 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 uh, leaders' debate in terms of this uh, divide between mind and heart, and uh, that um, while the Prime Minister appealed to people's minds, uh, Bill Shorten appealed to their emotions, and uh, this is going to be that much more in play as we get into a focus on climate change. I think at all your listeners will be aware of the fact that there's been a shift in the in the conversation and it started to focus very much on climate change. And when we think about the the amount of um, time and effort that's been invested by the, the kind of anti-democratic movement to frame climate change as the most obvious area in which Western free democracies like Australia have failed... You know, they, bl- they blame Western free democracies for um, irresponsible industrial development, et cetera, et cetera, and that we, have, we are the ones that are affecting the climate. And uh, so this is the rhetoric that universities, students are pumping out, and um, they're, they're suggesting that uh, people like uh, the coalition are unwilling to act to, uh, to, to moderate uh, the climate change. Um, human affected climate change per se. It's interesting uh, insight Charles, where you've got Bill Shorten and an emissions reduction policy as a way of saying that Labor is more in touch with the concerns of younger people when we talk about cultural divides and those sorts of things, hearts and minds uh, there is something in this issue of climate change debate uh, that certainly is about capturing the minds of young people. What were your concerns about that? Well, you can see we've had recently, haven't we, we've had these protests by school children, uh, and what they're reflecting is the, the, the kind of ramping up of the language. It's not just climate change, it's climate crisis. And this is what they're being told, that we're in a situation of climate crisis, and uh, their anxiety levels are being increased, and, and uh, so they're they're expressing it through uh, through these kind of protests that are not organised directly by the children per se, but but they've got people that are only too willing to help them to to, to, to pump this kind of anxiety into into their into their generation. 
And uh, so the fact that climate change is so important to the younger generation, it's been made so important to, to, to the younger generation, is sometimes lost on older people who recognise it's an issue uh, generally, but they don't recognise the level of emotion that's, that's already invested uh, into this issue so that as we come into this week, um, we can expect the emotion a component of the election conversation to greatly increase and uh, you know we may be taken by surprise by the, the way in which this is being discussed uh, i think that there's a tendency for older people who are raised in, in an environment where they they were more, more um, uh, mind oriented they wanted the numbers you know um, uh, they weren't necessarily buying into the big uh, emotional uh, narrative. They were. They wanted to know what the government was doing about it and how. What were the actual numbers, the financial numbers, and that's what, of course, the Prime Minister gave on the night and will continue to give. But uh, younger people are saying things like, um, and you could hear Bill Shorten sort of giving them back their language. Um, it's um, it's not so much that the cost of of the, uh, the the attempt to ameliorate the impact, it's the cost on the environment. You know, it's a it's an uncostable impact upon the environment that we've got to be concerned about. So we've just got to throw everything we've got at it, and that 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 sits well with an anxious soul. You know, with a soul that's been prepared for climate crisis and climate anxiety. You know, to feel like they've got a leader who's absolutely committed to resolving the the the, the climate change problem. Um, that emotionally uh, responds. Whether the person's actually got a plan or is able to do it or is, it, it, it isn't really in play at the time because all they can do is this big relief. Oh, thank God we've got a potential government that's going to take this primary issue seriously. Let's talk here because, as you say, an interesting scenario developing where you've got older Australians who are saying... Uh, what does it all cost? And younger Australians who are saying it doesn't matter what it costs, we just want to follow someone who promises to do something. And when Bill Shorten's been cornered around this issue of cost, he's been very evasive. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there are not economists who've been crunching the numbers and making a scenario and coming up with predicted costs for what the whole uh, climate change uh, policy will cost the Australian economy. What are your gleanings, Charles, from what uh, those commentators, from what those economists have been saying about how the exercise goes and how much the cost will be to the Australian economy? Um, in the Australian, Judith Sloan is one of the people that writes to the subject of economics, and she, she's no slouch. She's a very considerable person, an academic. And she quotes Brian Fisher, the former executive director of the Bureau of Agriculture and Resource Economics and the consultant to the government in the days of um, Kevin Rudd when the Kyoto issue was going on. And he's done exhaustive modelling on some of the, the options here, you know, of what happens if you, if, to the economy if, uh, if we go with the coalition's model of 300 million tonnes and, and what happens if you go with the Labor's uh, proposed suggestion, you know, um, of, of, of a figure much, much higher than that. <clears throat> and, um, and the numbers are quite staggering. You, uh, you know, the numbers we can't really get our mind around. And I, I wouldn't suggest to, to, to your listeners that I'm an, ex, uh, an expert in this field, but it, it could equate to um, a real wage fall over the 10-year period of 8.5%, um, a loss of 340,000 jobs. That's the, that's the 
the big the big end uh, if 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 the you know if 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 it was taken if one one reading of the labor policy um so it, it uh, of course now they're they're being much more careful about it and they're trying to put some more detail into it because bill shorten was a bit expansive in, in, in when he initially spoke about this so um it is i'd encourage listeners to pay close attention over the next week because this will be very much in the media and it will come clearer uh, what the emissions reduction issues are and how they're going to play out and i think you'll see that um, that the labor party will realize that it's um, you know it has been over uh, over ambitious and it's going to sort of suggest some sort of moderation of what seemed to be you know what seemed to be uh, you, you know to the people that are looking for a solution to climate change so that the, the government is going to go for a 45% emissions reduction goal over 10 years but that's music to their ears they think wow this is serious engagement but it's also serious money and a serious impact on the economy of the nation uh, and not really sustainable. And, of course, the challenging thought in all of that is where Australia takes its uh, responsibility, so to speak, on making any sort of adjustment like that, that uh, what happens in our small part of the world doesn't have much impact on how the climate change uh, issues of warming and those such things uh, actually eventuate, and uh, so uh, yes, it's uh, sorry me butting in there, Neil, but it's it's precisely because actually the great emitters, China and India, they don't start to have any adjustment responsibilities till 2030 anyway. So uh, you know what we're doing is we are driving in- industry uh, across the ocean to China and India, where they continue to emit. You know, people must think about this in global terms. And the issue here, Charles, just to take this another step deeper, where you're looking at climate change as uh, one of the primary platforms for this environmentalism movement, uh, almost as a disguise uh, for introducing into an economy a completely different way of looking at things. Uh, In fact, a, a socialist agenda that comes along with the fear campaign that comes with climate change. Any comment on those sorts of changes that are, are accompanying the, the whole scare campaign around climate? Well, uh, personally, I, I feel that this is, um, this is a, this is a, con, uh, a it's contrived. I, I think it's insincere. Uh, I, I know that sounds um, very rash of me, but um, you know, that's one of the things that we, we really look for in, in our leadership and I look to in my own heart and it's such a challenge to be sincere and to be genuine and to be honest. And if we are going to be sincere about uh, our commitments to these sorts of issues, we, um, you know, we, ha- we have to have follow through. But uh, like, for instance, when the, the, um, the coalition came to power at the time, Kevin Rudd had made a big deal about getting the Kyoto Agreement uh, uh, you know, applying to Australia, but he didn't, meet the, he didn't meet the standards and the requirements under his period, and it was left to the coalition to, to, to move that uh, commitment forward. And, and we are well ahead. We're, uh, the commitment is to 25% emissions, and we're at 28 so the reality is that the coalition has been working on this issue, um, but um, it's like there's a the, the reason why I say that there's a sort of a socialistic attitude here is because the narr- that doesn't fit the narrative. So they're not going to focus on that. They're going to focus on what they see, see as 
the failures of um, of, of a more conservative economic government, and um, and that's you know oh you know this is such a dangerous time for us as a nation as 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 the whole issue of truth you know truth truth in politics and truth in life um, is so important we mustn't give up on it we mustn't submit just to the emotionalisation of politics we've got to keep it. Um, in the real world. We'll be following it closely. Charles, another big issue, and of course Israel Folau back in the news again this week, and there's a twist to this controversy surrounding Israel Folau, so for any rugby fans, uh, they might be (laughs) impressed to know that there is some some significant support for Israel Folau within the the Wallabies uh, team. What are your thoughts on the developments? Well, forty-three uh, percent of the Wallabies team, you know, the extended team, uh, is um, is from Pacific Island backgrounds, and these are Tongans and um, Samoans and Fijians, and they all share a very strong uh, commitment to the Christian faith. And what happened to them in the way in which Christianity came to their societies was that it was it didn't come to them in the way that it, uh, that many people in Australia think about it. It came to them in a profoundly transformative way. It transformed their culture. So that they cannot think of themselves as Samoans or Tongans without thinking about the Christian dynamic of their culture. And so when you touch their faith, you touch their identity. And this is something that's just not understood uh, by people who don't have a religious bone in their body. And so um, here, you know, it's coming out. They're starting to realize, oh, goodness gracious, we've, um, you know, we've stirred up a, a sort of a, a holy hornet's nest here because there's so many. Uh, this is uh, Daniel Tupo. The, he's a Wallaby prop and red supporter saying, you might as well sack me and all the other Pacific Island rugby players around the world because we, we have the same Christian beliefs. So he's he's talking here not just about this sort of um, the, the kind of free floating abstract ideas about whether believe it, people believe in a god or not. This is talking about how their culture, how they relate as members of a society that is based upon fundamental Christian values, and uh, that, that's how it used to be in Australia, believe it or not. And interesting when you say forty three percent of Wallabies players have this cultural background, which is substantially. A Christian culture, and they're increasingly standing up for Israel Folau. Uh, you're even suggesting this possibility, and uh, let me just get you to comment on this: uh, the possibility of a Pacifica team on the horizon, Charles. <laughs> I'm I'm spitballing, but I, I, you can see how if um, if they start to feel alienated and unwanted, uh, if they feel that they have to choose between Jesus and rugby. That's not going to end well for Rugby Australia. It just isn't. And, uh, you know, Alan Jones is talking about the management of this issue in a few articles a week or two ago, and he was surprised that um, he put those articles up on his Facebook page. More than 2.3 million people uh, took an interest in those articles, and 10,000 people put individual comments. I mean, this is a sobering level of interest. this This is not just a minor interest issue because it's talking about a person's freedom to to be a Christian or to be a person of faith. Non-religious people don't get that. They don't get the fact that that one's faith is so fundamental to one's identity. And, of course, a lot of people today that have grown up in the Christian tradition in in Australia have been deeply secularized, and they tend to think of it as a rather free-floating issue that's not that important. But it'll become more important as 
pressure comes on the issue of freedom of religion. Uh, now, we're talking freedom of religion, freedom of speech here. And uh, interestingly, as uh, I honour those footballers, uh, because they're a little uh, less bending than it seems to be politicians and Christian leaders around the country. Uh, but this is an interesting and timely uh, issue that has developed at this point. And uh, perhaps it's going to be more and more in the news uh, from today and through the weekend. But this is a federal election campaign we're in the middle of, and this is a very powerful free speech comment that's being made when we have Falau in the, in the limelight here, Charles. Yes, I think it's, 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 uh, it's um, hard not to think of it as some kind of divine irony that, um, you know, we've been saying, Christians have been saying, there is a freedom of religion issue here, and it's arisen mainly out of the Sex Discrimination Act and the way in which the Labour Party particularly wanted to remove the exemptions from that act uh, for Christian schools and faith-based schools. And uh, and interestingly enough, I noticed Tanya Plibersek was invited to a forum uh, run by the Catholics um, on Tuesday, and, and she said she felt that that the Labour Party could find a way of uh, of pleasing both sides, of uh, both being able to meet their commitments to um, the LGBTQI community who who want the removal of the exemptions um, for Christians, and on the other hand, meeting the uh, Christian and, and other faith-based schools and their concerns about being able to teach according to their ethos and have people who are on staff, particularly, who live that ethos personally. And so she's she's saying that um, she thinks this, I think, is a way. Uh, this is an evidence, put it that way. It's a, an evidence of the fact that the issue is starting to have a real impact um, as the election tightens and, and uh, the Labour Party particularly sees that, oh, goodness, um, support is bleeding away because more people than they realised are taking freedom of religion uh, as, a, as an important issue. Uh, well, there'll be some who celebrate that idea that the Labour Party moves away from a very hard-line anti-Christian ethos and uh, a little bit of softening coming in there and uh, sometimes that becomes a backstop position in case there's a, a major fallout uh, if uh, the Labour Party wins power. Uh, it's always good getting your insights, always taking things just that little deeper below the shallowness that sometimes we'll hear in various reporting of the issues. Charles Newington, let me point people to the website for Family Voice Australia, familyvoice.org.au, and there'll be good resources, there'll be good articles, uh, there'll be good research about the upcoming federal election. I encourage listeners to take advantage of that as you're researching the candidates that you'll have in your local community and the candidates that we'll be voting for uh, to hold a balance of power in the Senate. Uh, Charles Newington, the National Director of Family Voice Australia, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us once again today on 2020. Uh, thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.